And with me, page number 62, and let's sing all the verses this morning, page number 62, one day, one day when heaven was filled with his praises, page number 62 in your hymn books this morning, one day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely Oh, glorious day. 
Take your hymn books, page number 44. And we just got new hymn books. And they skipped the third verse. So get your bulletin ready. If you have your bulletin there, right here is the words to the third verse. And what is listed in your hymn book is the third verse is actually the fourth. And so let's sing all the verses this morning. Page number 44 and can it be? And if you know those parts, sing them out. Here we go. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood?
incredible bass. Come on, let's sing that out. Let's let's really give it all the stops here. No condemnation. No condemnation now I dread. I am my Lord's and he is mine. Alive in him I live he can. In righteousness divine. you would take our humble singing this morning and be glorified in it. Lord, that when we come to the time of the preaching, that there would be clarity and simplicity in the message. And Lord, when we come to the time of invitation, that there would be surrender and willingness to worship you for who you are. We ask your guidance in each part of the service that you may be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there's too much on this mic. 140. 140. He lives. Let's sing it out this morning. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to John, lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ. 
147, our last song this morning. Now watch closely on this one. 147, the timing is a little different, and we all need to stay together. But beautiful hymn, the reason Jesus arose is so that he could come again. Amen. 147. It may be at morn when the day is awaking, when sun. this morning is when we get to those last words there that's not amen it's amen if you just pronounce it that way and uh, it's hard to give a hearty amen it just kind of softens that first syllable so sing it out and then when we start that course oh lord jesus how long until there you go and we'll be like a big choir this morning okay so you just watch and let her rip when we get to the end and if you Stretch a few vocal cords, just join me, and we'll make a joyful noise to the Lord. Amen. Let's try that second verse. It may be at midday, it may be at twilight, it may be perchance that the blackness of midnight will burst into light in the blaze of his glory. When Jesus receives his own, oh Lord Jesus, how long, how long, ere we shall not wax strong, Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, On his brow like a hair. 
girls come and sing a trio for us. Listen closely. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, and I want to read one verse out of Philippians chapter 3 before we get to Revelation chapter 1. As Paul was speaking, giving his personal testimony, he talked about having lost all things and counted them but loss. He had no, no desire, no worry about what he had lost. He said the goal of his life in verse 10, was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 
Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, we turn to Revelation chapter 1, and this will be our main text this morning. But before we read, I just want to ask you a few questions and, and get us thinking in the right direction, if we might. We talk about the power of Jesus' resurrection, the power that brought Jesus back from the dead. And that is a belief that we get from the Bible. But Paul here says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I know this is a trivial illustration, but it's one that I think most of us can concur with, is how many of you believe in electricity? How many of you found out the hard way? I mean, you cannot see that electrical current pulsing through the wires. But if you happen to let your finger slip when you're plugging something in or have a wet hand or something like that, uh, uh, there are very many different ways that you can appropriate that current from the item that you're trying to get it to, to your body. You ever done that? Uh, not a pleasant experience. But you have felt the power. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want anybody going out of here thinking, well, I need to feel electrical shocks pulsing through my body to know the power of the resurrection. Uh, no. If that's really what you want, uh, you can go to TBN and get your fill, but let me tell you, it's all pretend. It's not for real. You can generate a lot of emotional whatever you want to call it. But once you're done generating it, it's gone. Paul is talking about a power of the resurrection that permeated every part of his life. And one of the greatest examples in all the Bible, and we're preparing on Thursday nights to start into and go through the book of Revelation in our Thursday night Bible study, verse by verse, word for word, uh, detail for detail, and and yes, uh, there are going to be many times where we're going to say, God doesn't want us to know this. And we're not going to try to figure it out. Because as we will look here in, in the text that we will study this morning, Jesus had a specific purpose in showing John the power of his resurrection. And I want us just to read uh, a longer passage and start in verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, 
and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. This is the description of what John saw on the island of Patmos. He said he heard a voice as of a trumpet. And uh, I'm going to let that up to your imagination. I know some preachers have this big, huge voice that they're able just to rock the whole place with, but uh, mine's pretty worn out just from singing. Amen. But that voice permeated the soul. I mean, it just shook the whole place where John was. And he turned around to see, and he saw the resurrected Lord in his glory. It says that he had a garment that went from his shoulders to his feet. That he had a golden girdle or a golden belt wrapped around the middle of his chest. That his hair was white like wool. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like brass as they burned in a furnace. I had a fellow one time over in Manhattan, one of those, uh, oh, anyway, you'll see him stand at the subway corners uh, talking about uh, their strange oddities uh, uh, that follow Louis Farrakhan and some of those weird stuff. And I heard one of them saying his feet were like brass. That means Jesus was brown like me. Now, I only got one problem. How many of you have ever know what? How many of you know what brazing is? That is the taking a very hot flame and melting brass and using it to bond metal together. I can tell you what brass looks like in a furnace when it's burned, but you you have to have a set of goggles on to protect your eyes from the light. It's not talking about skin tones, my friend. It says his countenance was like lightning in its strength. How many of you have ever seen a big electrical storm over this city? 
remember one time we were driving into New York City. It was Memorial Day weekend, the end of the weekend. We'd had a group of young people upstate New York at a singles retreat. And it was the biggest lightning storm I have ever seen. It was like somebody had put a big strobe light over the entire city and was just flipping it on and off. I mean, it was terrifying. I just wanted to pull the vehicle over and stop, but I was on a bridge at that time. I said, you know, that's not the wisest place to be in an all-aluminum vehicle on a bridge in a lightning storm. Just really didn't like that idea, even though we had tires under us. I just wanted to get home. But you couldn't look at the lightning. It was blinding. That's what John saw. And the greatest words that Jesus spoke are some words that you and I need to get a hold of today. Fear not. Jesus said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Tell you what, that's what you and I do too, amen. And Jesus reached down and touched him. And told him to fear not. You know, there are many people that go to church all their lives because they're afraid not to. Isn't that true? How many of you remember going to a church where, boy, if you didn't show up, you were in trouble? You might miss out heaven if you didn't do exactly what they say and exactly the way they say it. Jesus said, fear not. We are to fear God in the idea of respecting and understanding his great power. But fear is not the motivation of the believer in Jesus Christ. Love is the motivation. I do not serve God because I'm afraid he'll do something to me. I serve him because he's already done everything for me. I serve him because it's the least that I can do for a Savior who has given everything for me. I remember meeting a fellow one time and he says, well, what's God done for me? I said, do you got a couple hours? I said, let me get started. I said, he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. How much more do you want him to do for you? Well, he was one of those short-sighted people who wanted a God that was going to do what he wanted him to do. You know, many people, they want a Jesus who's going to help them be a better fill-in-the-blank. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't here to help you be a better you. He isn't here to help you Realize your goals. He isn't here to supply the things that you want. He isn't here. Jesus did not go through what he went through so you could be happy. I get so weary. All I want, Pastor, is to be happy. Well, you've just 
taken steps 1 through 13 to make sure that you never get there. Because if your happiness and your pleasure is the goal of your life, you will never meet the Savior. And I know I'm disagreeing with Joel Olstein, and I mean, who could do that? Uh, we do it regularly around here. Because I can paint a pretty picture, and, and I feel that I'm a fairly good communicator with words, and if I wanted everybody to feel happy, you know, I could, I could craft this sermon and, and manipulate your emotions and make us all just go out of here. Wow, what a blessing. But you wouldn't even come close to realizing the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection was so terrifying that when John was able to see it in a limited form with his human eyes, he fell at his feet as dead. It was only when Jesus reached forth that right hand and put it on his shoulder and said, fear not that John could stand and behold the person with whom he was talking. And Jesus gave three I am's, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're not familiar with your Bible, that first form of the be verb, I am, is a critical part of the Bible. When Moses was, had met God for the first time in the desert of Mount Sinai, he said, what is your name? Because I'm going to go to your people and I'm going to tell them that God sent me and they're going to ask me what his name is. He said, I am. You tell the children of Israel that I am has sent thee. Now that's quite a statement, is it not? And three times here as Jesus appears to John, he's going to use that phrase. And, and I want us to look at them and then draw some applications the first thing he said in the end of verse 17, he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. He said, Pastor, what, what kind of comfort is there in, in that? Well, an entire world of comfort, if you will understand what he mean, meant when he said those words. You see... Jesus is not saying, I'm the first one, uh, I am the beginning. He's saying, I am the source. There's a difference. He said, I'm not the first thing that was created. I'm not the first thing that came along. He said, I am the source of all that is. Our scientists are trying to understand the hidden secrets of the universe. And you know what? They still can't define light. And they cannot tell you why an atom stays together, though they can blow certain ones apart. 
Do you realize that if you could release the atomic power in my hanky, there would not be a New York City left? But fortunately for us, this is a very stable item. It's not going to degenerate atomically. Because if it did, it would be incredible. The power. They tell me that our biggest aircraft carrier, that if you removed all of the space between the particles of the atoms that make that ship up that displaces 100,000 tons of water, that the mass of that ship would fit in the palm of a human hand if you could hold up 100,000 tons with your hand. We can explain lots of things about it. But we don't know where it came from. Jesus is answering that question right here. He says, I am the first. I am the source of all that is. The book of Colossians tells us that by him all things consist. Other prophecies in the Bible tell us that the world and the elements that now are are reserved unto fire unto the day of judgment. And all that God is going to have to do is pull that restraining power out and everything that now is is going to disappear in the largest cosmic fireball that has ever been thought of. And then he says, I'm going to make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. And by the way, if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, he's going to protect you from that whole thing. We're going to get to watch. No human being watched when God spoke and said, let there be light. But he's going to let us watch him make the new heavens and the new earth. I'll tell you what, I can't wait. How about you? I'm kind of curious. I want to behold that spectacle. But he is the first. Now, how many of you parents have said, that's it. We're not talking anymore. Conversation over. You're going to do what I said because I said to do it. Anybody else mean like that? I mean, sometimes that's the job of a parent. Amen. We're not going to discuss this anymore. Now, if you're here and you discuss things with your two-year-old, be my guest. But they need to be taught, not discussed. It, it makes a difference. When they get to teenagers, if you've taught them right, then you can discuss the right things together. And it's not quite so bad. Somebody said, how do you know? Well, i got six teenagers in the house right now. Well, three of them are at college, two of them are at college. But uh, you teach them when they're little so you can discuss things when they're big. Amen? Now, we try here to say this is the end of the conversation. This is the, it's finished. We've put this thing to rest. We're not going to bring it up again. But then why is talk radio the biggest business in the country? Because nobody's done talking. How many opinion polls do they run? Oh, I am so tired of opinion. Because you know what happens? Everybody has two or three. 
about any given subject. Opinion should not decide anything. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the source and I'm the end. He said, there's no conversation past me. We have a society that is built on the lie that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That you cannot be dogmatic. And I, I want to challenge you today. I'm not being dogmatic. I'm just telling you that Jesus said he is the absolute truth. He is the end of the conversation. He is not relative to any other thing in the universe. Everything in the universe is relative to him. He is the source from which they came. And when he decides he's done with them, they're going to be done. But he will always keep his word as he has told us in the scriptures. You can disagree with this Bible if you so choose. I'm a Baptist. If you want to know where the freedom of speech and all of those first ten amendments to our Constitution came from, it came from Baptist churches in this country who said we will not support a government who will not give us freedom of individual worship and freedom of speech. But our freedom is confined to either accepting or rejecting what Jesus has told us in this book. You do not have the option to change the words. That's the world in which we live. Everybody believes that they can change the words. And I, I will tell you, if you want to have the power of his resurrection in your life, you must accept what Jesus said about himself. I am the first and the last. He is the beginning, the source from which everything has sprung, and he is the end of all conversation. There is no court of appeals. If you disagree with what the Savior has said, I feel sorry for you and I'll spend any amount of time that is physically possible to help you understand that you must surrender your will to the words of the Savior because he is the first and the last. He is the authority. And what he says is not only good, it is the absolute best that any human being can aspire to. The writer of Hebrews told us he is the author and finisher of our faith. Everything we do in this church is about the personal testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we read that first statement, he says, I am the first and the last. Then he says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Now we're here today and this is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection. And as we've often said at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, every Sunday is Easter Sunday here. I don't know that we've ever had a service where we haven't mentioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And, and if we have, we'll go back and edit the tape and put it in. Amen? Uh, because it was a mistake. It was not done uh, on purpose. The resurrection is the single most central fact of all history. The stories of Jesus that are contained in the Bible are not just stories. They are people relating what they saw and what really happened. He was a real man. And I, I think of all these things that people say about Jesus. He's my homie. That's blasphemy, my friend. You don't talk about the creator God of the universe. He's not your buddy. He came here to be your God. There's a difference. When Jesus met a blind man, he opened those eyes that they could see again. When Jesus met the widow at Nain, taking her son, her only son, out to the cemetery, he interrupted the funeral and that boy didn't need to be buried after Jesus was done. Now there are many people that claim to do miracles today. All trying to imitate what Jesus did in the Bible. Why would we believe the imitator when we can always already believe the true one? Why would you want an imitation if you could have the real thing, my friend? And by the way, if you want to do the research into the lives of some of those imitators, let me tell you, you're going to find a pretty sad story for most of them. You're going to find an awful lot of money going to personal things and very little of it doing anything else. Jesus didn't collect a lot of money. Jesus came here so that he could lay down his life for you and me. The Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. There's not a living human being in this auditorium this morning unless we have a little baby in here that has not sinned against God that has not willfully done something in transgression of God's word. The first of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But let me challenge you, when you make a decision to do something against what the Bible says, you've already broken that first commandment because you've put yourself in the place of God and said it's okay for me to fill in the blank. Now, I'm not going to fill in the blank because I'd pray the Holy Spirit of God would do that in your individual life and bring back to you things that have happened in your life that are against God's Word. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad that butt is in there. How about you? Now, a gift is not something you work for, my friend. 
It's something someone gives you because they love you. If it's a real gift. How many of you have gotten fake gifts? In honor and appreciation of your faithful service in our corporation, we're going to give you a pay cut and a work increase. I mean, that's not a very nice gift to get. But it happens all the time. That's what our economy is right now. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. He said, I died in your place so that you wouldn't have to die. Then he says, and behold. Now that word behold means I want you to look at, I want you to take notice. And he uses the third I am in this short uh, passage here. He says, and I am alive evermore. He says, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. I am alive evermore. Now, I'm not here to, to rail on religions this morning, but I, I want us to, to really think about something. There are many religions in our world today that are all about death. In fact, one great leader, um, and I use that word great uh, very much in quotations, of the religion of Islam, said, you, you guys in the West have it all wrong. He says, we're not preparing for life, we're preparing for death. And I would agree with that statement, but I think that's the wrong direction we ought to be preparing for. How about you? Jesus said, I've come that I may give you life and that life more abundantly. Jesus said, listen, I am he that liveth and was dead and I am alive forevermore. I'm never going to die again. The book of Hebrews, if you were here Friday night, it says that he endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus didn't want to do the cross. That's why he prayed three hours in the garden. But he knew it was the only way that our sins could be forgiven. That God's love and God's holiness could be met at the same time. See, we have this really perverted idea of love today. I'm not talking about immorality. I'm, I'm talking about, oh, daddy loves his little girl so much, I can't punish you for doing that. That is not love, my friend. Love is not permissiveness. Love is not allowing someone to get away with it. How many of you have ever really gotten away with something? I mean, you pulled it and you, I mean, you, you told a whopper and no one ever caught you. Maybe you made a few bucks in the deal. Who knows? But it always comes back to get you now, doesn't it? It always just leaves that strange little weird feeling down deep in your soul. 
You know why? Because God never designed for us to get away with it. He designed for us to find forgiveness. How many mental institutions are just stock full of people because of one little word? Guilt. When Jesus said, I am alive evermore, he's saying, I dealt with guilt if you'll bring it to me. He says, I've dealt with the issues of forgiveness if you'll bring it to me. I've dealt with the issues of peace in your heart and in your soul. In fact, I can stop the arguing and the fussing and the problems and the fear and the disobedience and all of those things because, you see, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and I am alive forevermore. The night Jesus was betrayed told his disciples, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. You see, this book called the Bible is not about death. It is full of the records of God's judgment. But every time it talks about God's judgment, it talks about how the God wishes he didn't have to judge. There's a way around that judgment. But you have to come and you have to understand. You must personally experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That is why we're here this morning. That's why our church exists. We don't go through what we go through just to have church here, just so we can say we have church. We have a purpose. And if you'll read on in verse 19, it says, I want you to write these things. I want you, he already started the passage by saying, I want you to send these messages to these seven churches. Jesus is who he is. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He is alive evermore because he's got some things for you and I to do today. People talk about purpose for life. I'll tell you what, I got a purpose. It's to serve the resurrected Lord. It's not just to feel good about myself. Because no matter how good you want to feel about yourself, when you get alone and look in that mirror, there's things you're going to feel bad about. Because you're a human being. Am I telling you the truth or am I not? I'm telling you the truth today because I want you to know the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when he tells you your sins are forgiven, who's going to argue with the Lord? Can the devil argue with the Lord? No. There's no argument because he is the first and he is the last. He is the source from which everything comes and when it's all over and all said and done, he will be the only one left. But he lived. 
The Bible says he was tempted in every point as we are and yet without sin. But he was dead for three days. That's all. I challenge you if you're skeptical about this book called the Bible. If you want to study the religions of the world, be my guest. But let me tell you, there's not one religion that talks about a Savior who is God that gave himself for the people he came to save. Every religion that is out there today, except for this book called the Bible has a set of things that you are supposed to do in order to make yourself more pleasing to God or to actually, in some religions, become a God. And we're being extremely generalistic here today, but what we're trying to do is cover the scope of religion. You, you, it either depends upon something you do. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. He said, I am the one that has done everything that is necessary for your salvation. And then he says, I'm alive evermore. Jesus is never going to die again. There are some churches when they come together, they, they believe that they re-crucify Jesus every time they have a service. Jesus said, that's never going to happen again. I died once. And now I'm alive evermore. I was dead. I'm never going to be that again. Now let me ask you. When is the last time that you actually lived? Actually accomplished something. Through the power of the resurrected Lord. When was the last time some event in your life unfolded and it turned out the way it should have because of the power of the resurrected Lord? And someone might say, well, well, pastor, that's not really a fair question. Well, yes, it is. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, all of these verses that are here, they're not just a theological uh, niceties that we bat about and talk about their practical living experience. How many of you can point to a great failure in your life? Something that you know that you just, that was just terrible. And you brought that to the resurrected Savior and sought his forgiveness and found peace and a removal of guilt and the ability to get up and serve him the next day. Would anybody say amen? I've experienced that in my life, Pastor. You see, that's the power of the resurrected Lord. There are people that are so afraid that they're going to turn on the radio and find out the world's ended. There are people that live in constant fear. I heard the story of a man bought 
thousands of acres out west somewhere and built him a big ranch and, and uh, a big concrete bunker down in the basement. And, and, and he was a real smart man. He said, I, I've got it all worked out. When they finally nuke us, he said, I'm going to be safe. You know what? I'm not worried about that. Because I've read this book called the Bible. And my trust is in he that is the first and the last. If he died for me and he's alive evermore, then I think he's going to take care of me a whole lot better than the government can. Amen? Amen? I'm not trying to labor too hard for these things, but I, I hope you agree with me on that. If not, see me for counseling afterwards. Don't put your faith in man. How many times have you said, I'm not going to let this happen, and it happens? I want my faith to be in the first and the last. Not a one of us in this room can experience death and come back to talk about it. They put a phone in Mary Baker Eddy's coffin, paid the bill for 50 years. No outgoing calls, not one. Just because I'm mean, I, I, I would have loved to somehow tapped into that line and called back. just to see what somebody would do. But let me tell you what they would do. They would know that somebody tapped into the line and called back because dead people don't call back from the grave. But he was, he liveth and was dead and is alive evermore. There are many things in this life that I can't understand. There are many things that I'm counting on God. I get a little scared when they start talking about the cost of raising children in this world. Obviously, I fear that. Because I still got quite a few to finish raising. They said the average child from birth to graduation in college or whatever cost about, uh, oh, now I'm going to forget the number. Should have written it down. But it was well close to a million dollars per child. And I'm sitting here going, man, I got to be the richest guy in Queens. That's pretty cool. I don't know where all that money comes from. But God's allowed me to raise my children. I'll tell you what, it doesn't take a million bucks. But God always provides. Because he's the first and the last. He liveth and was dead, and he is alive evermore. When they talk about all of these crazy things going on, somebody says, well, the world could end tomorrow. No, it can't. I read the book and it's at least 1,007 years and about 90 days from tomorrow. Because that's what the Bible says. So I'm not too worried about it. 
Because my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever stood beside the coffin of a loved one who's passed from this life into the next? I'll tell you what, I hate funerals because of all the lies that people tell at them. I don't care how nasty, dirty, rotten, mean scoundrel you were, there's going to be somebody stand there at your coffin. Oh, he was such a nice guy. Oh. And then they call me and say, would you preach a funeral? I don't even know the guy. Well, can't you make something up nice to say about him? Because that's what you're supposed to do. Right? But I'll tell you what, when it's the funeral of somebody who's lived for God, I love those kind of funerals. Because I can say even though they were a human being, and there's not a one of you out here that can't think of some hurtful thing that this poor departed one did to you while they were alive. You can put it under the blood of Jesus and know that you'll be reunited in heaven someday. Now that's hope. That's the power of the resurrected Lord. You see, he's been there and back already. And he tells me that I can have hope. That death is just a door that passes to a far greater existence than anything I can understand here on earth. That's why I want the power of his resurrection in my life. Each and every day. Because as a human being, I fail all the time. Somebody said, really, what did you do? None of your business, amen. It's Jesus' business. Because he's the first and the last. Because he is alive, he liveth and is dead, was dead, and he is alive evermore. Every day of my life, I depend upon his resurrection power. And that's what I want for you as well. It's there because he is God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and now we reach the time we call invitation. Lord, this is where we talk to people about not just saying... I love the Bible, but about willingly being obedient to its pages. Lord, we know just because of the number of people that are in the room, there have got to be people here that have never trusted you as their personal Savior. Lord, my first prayer is that today would be the day that they would turn aside from all of those things and simply trust Jesus and his resurrection power. Lord, if that can't be because of things in the heart and soul of that individual that cloud their understanding of the truth, we pray that today would at least be a little more seed of the Word of God planted, a little more water to make it grow, just another step closer to that day where they could lay aside all of those things, the deception, the self-deception, and simply trust the one that is alive forevermore. Lord, we pray for the Christians that are here. 
that are still afraid and not willing to trust Him that liveth forevermore, that aren't willing to bring their sins and their failures to the Savior who died to pay that price. Lord, if there's one here that's struggling, whether they can believe or not in your forgiveness, help them understand that you are the first and the last, that there's no, nothing left when you're done. If you say it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Lord, we come to you. And we ask that you would help us to surrender those things that are keeping us from serving you. That we may leave this place more able to serve you than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.